For those of you who don't know who I'm talking to, we huh. have uh, Canadian comedy icon Mark Breslin, who is the founder of Yuck Yucks and has launched a career of, dare I say, hundreds of stand-up comics over the years. Um, and, you know, you, I don't know if you've done a lot of stand-up yourself, but you've certainly, years been, you've certainly been on the production end, and you mentioned the incredible Joan Rivers. Um, you actually were the producer of her her TV show, I believe. Yeah, and it was um, I got it by complete surprise. Um, I certainly wasn't on any list that anybody at Fox went through. Um, I think it was kind of maybe even a desperation move on her part um, mm -hmm. because everybody was so connected with NBC and nobody wanted to alienate Johnny Carson. But, you know, I was from another place and mm -hmm. Johnny Carson wasn't going to hurt or help my career. So mm -hmm. um, I certainly took the job, flew down to California, loved it, stayed there for two years. When the job ended, I came back. Well, actually, okay. that's not entirely true. When the job okay. ended, they gave me such a big check um, that I thought, what am I going to do with this? And I decided I'm going to move to Hawaii for six months. And that's exactly mm -hmm. what I did. And then I came home. Mm -hmm. So Joan has this reputation of being this, you know, very caustic stand up. My parents hated me. Okay. <laughs> We're all going to hear the story, aren't we? When my parents hated me too. My parents, all I ever heard, all I ever heard growing up is, why can't you be like your cousin Sheila? Why can't you be like your cousin Sheila? Sheila had died at birth. They just <laughs> hated me. Um, but I've also heard and read a little bit that she was just the nicest person off screen, much like um, Don Rickles, you know. This is had true. That persona. Sure, this is true for so many comics. The comics mm -hmm. who are mean on stage are generally very nice people. And mm -hmm. they're, the term is embracing their Jungian opposite. Mm -hmm. uh, and similarly, there's some really nice stand-ups on stage that are complete mm -hmm. and total jerks off stage. Mm -hmm. But Joan was really nice. And you know how you can tell if a performer is nice is how they treat their writers. Okay. Because um, I had a friend who was working for uh, Johnny Carson. And I said, so what's he like? He'd been working mm -hmm. for him for 14 years writing. He said, I don't know. I've never really met him. I said, what do you mm -hmm. mean? He said, well, we have a head writer. The head writer meets with, with a star, but we don't. We just sit in our room and come up with jokes. But that mm -hmm. was not true for Joan. Joan would rather sit in a room with a bunch of writers than sit in a room with a bunch of uh, network executives, I assure you. She was mm -hmm. a creative through and through. Yeah. Uh, I I was told or I read that Carson was like the most introverted person around, that, that he got up on stage was was pretty amazing. Um, I um, I didn't know, really know him very well, so I mm -hmm. can't really comment on that. Okay. Fair enough. So would you mind taking us back a little bit to how you found comedy and found yourself sure. you know, wanting to have a career in comedy? <laughs> sure. Well, you know, these days, um, doing comedy is a career option. But that was mm -hmm. not the case 47 years ago when I first started out. Um, I had graduated with a degree in English literature and had 
poked around a lot of corners of radical organizations and uh, radical um, uh, psychology movements. Um, mm -hmm. I was a real seeker at the time and uh, got a job in a place called Harbor Front in Toronto, which was mm -hmm. the first, I was part of the first te team to develop it. And I got very attached to the talent and the talent that I liked the best were the comics. The comics, I noticed, were one of two groups. Either they were doing really old style stuff um, yeah. and they were older or they were these new young comics who were doing comedy that was relevant. This was 1974, 1975. They were doing new kind of comedy that was very relevant, really personal, uh, completely uncensored. And mm -hmm. these I fell in love with this. So I started hosting an, um, a comedy night at Harbor Front and the thing went through the roof. And then as well as things were going, um, we all got fired from Harbor Front and now nobody had a place to play. Oh yeah, there were places to play, but the, you were told what to say and you were told what to do. And um, mm -hmm. there were white tablecloths and you know old waiters, that kind of thing. It was not what yeah. the sort of punk um rock and roll idea that i had where anything went and the more mm -hmm. offensive the better so uh i stumbled on a um a community center that mm -hmm. was doing some folk music on saturdays and i went and i asked them if i could have another night to do comedy so said they said yeah wednesdays uh always the worst uh day in the week for show business mm -hmm. and uh we started the club called it yuck yucks one night a week and it kind of went through the roof. So, you know, two years later, I raised the money to open up the first full-time Yuck Yucks in Toronto, 200 mm -hmm. seats, six shows a week, seven shows a week. And it was very successful. And then we started to branch out and open up more clubs. Mm -hmm. So you're, I believe, the, the most successful uh, comedy franchise in the world, are you not? Like, I believe so. Um, the improvs in uh, the States are pretty big as well, but uh, COVID really did a number on them and uh, they lost a lot of their clubs or a lot of their mm -hmm. clubs kept the name, but they wouldn't let head office book them. They have their own websites, but we're the, certainly the biggest consolidated comedy company in the world. Mm -hmm. So do the comedians actually work for Yuck Yucks or for you or... They all... Well, they're independent. They're independent contractors, but we have a mm -hmm. roster of people that we work with and sign, so they uh, they follow our protocols, and mm -hmm. uh, we have about a hundred, roughly a hundred uh, people signed to us all across the country, uh, of which I would say sixty five percent are in Toronto. Okay, so how um, this might be a difficult question, but do you have like a a Mount Rushmore of comedians from you know the various eras from you know when you started off because the modern comedians are very different than you know when you were starting out sure um well in the very beginning there was larry horowitz who was uh mm -hmm. kind of the most commercial act to come along and kind of prove to us that what we were doing didn't have to be an underground thing that only you know really odd people liked so there was larry mm -hmm. horowitz um, there was a guy named Paul Mandel, who was his polar opposite, who would mm -hmm. go on stage and read his divorce papers, cry and throw sticky buns at the audience. And and that he was magnificent, funny. too. He was magnificent, too. Um, uh, later on, oh, uh, uh, when we opened up uh, full time, 
Howie Mandel mm -hmm. showed up, came to us and uh, developed his act there. He'll tell okay. you that. Uh, yeah. And Jim Carrey as well. Um, mm -hmm. And um, uh, yeah, minor the, league players. Sorry, no, they're not minor league players. Yeah. Uh, Mike, Mike McDonald, uh, who uh -huh. I think probably pound for pound is the best comic to ever come out of a stand-up comic to ever come out of Canada. And most mm -hmm. people would agree with that. Unfortunately, he died uh, two years ago. Um, maybe you didn't know that. I didn't know that. Um, I knew he had, McDonald. He, he had had a asked. kidney transplant. And okay. uh, they don't go well, usually. They, it's, yeah. You're on borrowed time with a kidney transplant. Uh, but he was magnificent. And you know, I, um, I was the first pe person to book people like Sam Kinison, Seinfeld, uh oh, wow. andrew dice clay um mm -hmm. all of all of these people uh they couldn't really get hired in in the states at that time oh well mm -hmm. seinfeld probably could but some yeah. of the other ones could not and uh mm -hmm. we took great pride in presenting people that hadn't quite made it onto the list yet in the u.s yeah i think kennison is is one of, if the younger people watching or listening haven't seen kennison it's as unique a comedy set as you'll ever see. I mean, he was just bonkers. Well, um, the story about Kinnison and I, because, you know, he he lived with me for a while. Um, <laughs> uh, that was he wasn't trip. expecting that story. <laughs> I Well, I, I, I'll predate the story. Um, mm -hmm. What I used to do was I used to go down to New York and Los Angeles and look for headliners I could book. And mm -hmm. remember, the, the scene then in like 1980 or so, was very slim. There were only three or four clubs all over North America. Um, the mm -hmm. boom hadn't quite happened yet. So I needed headliners. I, I couldn't depend on Canadians, even though my goal always was to hire Canadians first. And I'm glad mm -hmm. to say that these days, all the clubs across the country book about 92% Canadian comics, which is okay. great. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I would go down, I went down to... Um, uh, the comedy store in Los Angeles, where I often would go down to look for acts and they would put mm -hmm. on their inventory for me, 12 or 14 acts. And I'd sit there and I'd sip my tea and they mm -hmm. would all go on. And then at the very end, uh, one of these trips, uh, a person from the comedy store uh, came to me and said, well, that's the end of the showcase. But we put this other guy on um, at the end to clear the room so that uh, the waitresses <laughs> can go home. I, they said, so you can get up, you can, you can leave now. And, you know, you've mm -hmm. kind of seen everything. I said, I don't want to leave when the guy's going up. It's only one guy. And it was mm -hmm. Kinnison. And he was brilliant. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. I could see the brilliance right away. And then the people from uh, the comedy store said, well, who'd you like tonight? And I said, the last guy. And they said, yeah, he's really good. His airplane uh, food jokes are terrific. I said, no, no, not that last guy. The actual last guy. And they said, you want to hire Sam Kinison? I'm reading this, and it's, it's an exciting story, but I read it and I thought, I know Jesus was never married. Guy never had a wife, no one. was never married, because no wife would buy this story in 100 years. The disciples will, the believers will. No wife would buy this fucking story. Good luck. Good luck with this story. First of all, he leaves on Friday afternoon with 12 other guys. He's gone. <laughs> He's gone for three days. No message. No way to get in touch with her. He comes home Monday afternoon looking like he hasn't slept. He... So 
looks like he's partied out, man. And Mrs. Jesus is just waiting, going, okay, I guess it's day three of this shit. Right. Well, I'm glad you can find your way home, Savior. Where's your 12 friends who won't get a job? How are they? Yeah, disciples of my ass. They're losers. Every one of them are using them. You're not even smart enough to know it. Anybody says, I believe, we put them up and feed them. I'm saying, where are you at? Jesus is going, oh, I don't need this shit. <laughs> not after what I went through this weekend. Uh, no, honey, I'll tell you right, man. Come here. Come here. Come here. I'll tell you where I've been. First of all, not that, uh, not that it ruined your weekend any, but I was dead! I said, yeah, mm -hmm. we'll fly him in. And we did that. And he completely and totally bombed. Bombed. <laughs> bombed worse than anybody we've ever booked on that show because he hadn't quite gotten it together yet. Um, mm -hmm. it, was, it was a work in progress, clearly. So you started on the Wednesday. His Wednesday went all right. Then the Thursday came along. The, the club was quite busy and he walked everybody. Every single person in the audience left. That's unprecedented. Wow. So I walked backstage and I took out my wallet and I took out a hundred dollars and he probably thought I was going to give him the hundred and say, you know, go home. Instead, what I said was, Sam, this is a bonus for you tonight. hundred dollars for walking the entire audience. And every show you do this week where you walk the entire audience, I will give you a bonus of $100. But you have to watch, walk the entire audience for that to happen. He was stupefied because that mm -hmm. was the last thing he would ever think a, a club owner would do. Mm -hmm. But it, uh, he, didn't, he didn't walk the audience for the rest of the, of the week. But he didn't do well. But I mm -hmm. believed in him totally. And, you know, eight months later, I brought him in again. And he did better. And then, you know, about eight months later after that, he'd figured out how to do his act and he just blew the roof off the place. And we mm -hmm. stayed friends right to the end, right until he tragically died. Yeah. I, uh, I wrote a memoir uh, about this crazy medical journal, the journey I've been on. And uh, I, I write a little bit about him and the tragic way uh, he passed away because they said he had a near death experience um yeah. in that accident but just a fascinating guy who came from uh you know a very religious family and then just went, went off the path uh or their path i guess well you know it's interesting he was a circuit preacher before he was a comic and he played mm -hmm. me a tape of himself uh doing uh preaching mm -hmm. and it was exactly the same of, as his act except mm -hmm. there were no jokes in it but the rhythms the cadences yeah. were just the same. It was very interesting. Mm -hmm. And I think he was quite a good singer as well. Yeah, uh, he, yeah he released a couple of singles. I mean, he did the, that Wild Thing version and he did something else on the, uh, I think it was on the Letterman show. Um, mm -hmm. I can't remember what song it was. Oh, uh, well, it was an Elvis Presley. I can't, help, I can't stop help falling in love with you. He sang yeah. that but with a yeah. break that was completely unlike what Elvis would have said in, in the break mm -hmm. in that song. Mm -hmm. So who else are, are some of your favorites from maybe that beginning era that well, you know, really caused the stand-up scene to explode? Well, there's certainly Norm MacDonald is worth talking about. 
I mean, yeah. um, he was from Ottawa, as a number of comics have been from from Ottawa, including Mike McDonald. Uh, but mm -hmm. Norm, um, the first time he went on, and this is this story is courtesy of my nephew, who's the manager there and has been for you know thirty years. Mm -hmm. um, he went on an amateur night, um, did very well, walked off, and as he passed my nephew Howie said to him well I guess that they'll never be seeing me again so Howie ran after him and said what what, what were you talking about he said well I, you know, I know I bombed you don't have to be nice about it don't worry mm -hmm. he said no no you were great in fact I want you back next week and the week after that and I want to get you on the circuit and well the mm -hmm. rest is great by the way mm -hmm. Norm tells the story of the Sam Kinison hundred dollar uh, uh, mm -hmm. bonus in his book but he gets it wrong because he said, I whipped out a thousand dollars. Hey, okay. I never carried a thousand dollars in cash in my life. It was a hundred dollars, not a thousand dollars. Yeah. Uh, to me, Norm had the most unique way of telling a joke because he would, he would take you off in directions you weren't expecting to go and then weave it all back to, to someplace that made perfect sense in the frame of the joke, but you just weren't expecting it. Yeah, he was a master. And um, certainly, I think his stuff on Saturday Night Live uh, was was absolutely great. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. Would they allow him on Saturday Night Live uh, in this current uh, environment of politically correct? Well, remember that, uh, you know, there are producers there who can say this is fine. This is not fine. They try to go as close to the edge as possible without going over. But the, the the flashpoint these days is no longer, it's certainly not politics and it's certainly not um, even sex, but it's race. Race is the mm -hmm. flashpoint for political correctness. And there's not an awful lot on Saturday Night Live that deals with race anyway. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I think he, he could have his... He, the only reason he lost his job was that Lorne Michaels was not producing the show that year. It was another guy with no uh, real uh, experience in comedy, and he was mm -hmm. good friends with OJ, this guy. Uh, mm -hmm. Don Olmeyer, I think, was his name. He was come, came from a sports background. And yeah. uh, if you remember Norm's opening joke after the trial, which is, this just in, murder is now legal in California. And uh, like Nor nobody could have done it better than Norm. Uh, yeah. And he got fired for that. So he did not get fired had... for being politically incorrect. Mm -hmm. you, you'd mentioned uh, the, the writers uh, when we were talking before. Um, how, much, how much of their own material do stand-ups write? Like I imagine people like Seinfeld, you know, they're so established, they might have a team. But when you're starting off like a Norm MacDonald or you're on Saturday Night Live, how much is that actually Norm and how much was that, you know, part of the writing crew? Well, Saturday Night Live might have been, um, uh, there's a writing crew there, but the spine of it is usually written by the whoever's doing the weekend update. And mm -hmm. you know that because the people who are doing weekend update fr frequently are doing nothing else on the show. So that's their responsibility. Oh. Now, if you're asking the larger question of, you know, when you see a comic on stage, how much of that act did he write and how much mm -hmm. did somebody else write for him? And these days, it's like 95 percent 
written by the person who's performing. Because what you're looking for now is an authenticity of experience. You can't mm -hmm. borrow experience and write jokes for people. Although, you know, in certain cases, like if somebody approached Stephen Wright with a great joke in the Stephen mm -hmm. Wright style, I'm sure he'd buy it and use it. But that becomes mm -hmm. much more difficult when you're a storytelling comic. Yeah. There was just something that came out a few weeks ago about uh, a comedian that was had based his act on a whole bunch of racial things that had happened to him, and it turns out they actually didn't. I, I don't I know don't. if you've heard this. No, I don't know this story. Okay, I think he was an Indian comic. Um, anyhow, it's... Uh, I don't know yeah, the story. So you go back to this authenticity, and yeah, he's just crushed. So... Um, yeah, there. It's really hard to tell a joke, in my experience. You know, some of of the old Jewish crowd they could tell a joke. Um, Buddy Hackett could tell a joke. I think like nobody else. But he does get a lot of young girls, which brings us back to the guy eighty and the girl twenty two who fell in love with him and wanted to marry him. He said, "I could not give you enough sexual action. I have the appetite, but not the equipment." She said, "Nowadays, they are installing metal pieces in the penis." He goes with her to the what do you call that guy? Urologist and talks to him about having an implant, a penile implant, which means a stick in your dick. <laughs> so the, the penile implanter said, not only do we have the little pump and also the rod, we have a new thing now. We take the trunk of a baby elephant but I think we've gone more to a storytelling type of humor these days. Is that, would you agree with that? Yeah, I, no, I, I totally agree. Look, I, I did stand up for 20 years, but if you told, if I were at a party and somebody said, tell me a joke, mm -hmm. I don't think I would do it very well. Um, mm -hmm. Because um, the difference has gone from uh, jokes to somebody, somebody's character. I'm sure you've heard um, the saying, uh, that, you know, all comedy is character. It starts with character. And mm -hmm. so does stand-up. And uh, the trick in stand-up, in fact, is to find that character in such a way that you can express it, that the audience knows what you're thinking before you even say anything. And a good example of that is Jack Benny uh, using mm -hmm. his, you know, face, touching his face um, mm -hmm. and looking uh, kind of bereft, um, where mm -hmm. you just know what he's what he's feeling and thinking without him even having to say something another person who's great at that is jeremy hotz um who mm -hmm. also started at yuck yucks i don't do you not know jeremy you're no i'm not familiar with him oh he's wonderful just wonderful um okay. uh he, he he has an aggrieved look um mm -hmm. and says everything is shit everything is poo everything is horrible um mm -hmm. really funny very funny he lives in the he lives in Los Angeles now, but he's originally from Ottawa. Okay. Another Ottawa connection. Yes. Uh, um, another person that started at Yucks, of course, that uh, not from the very beginning days, but midway through was Russell Peters, mm -hmm. who has grown into one of the strongest acts in the world. And you, bro, you're Indian? Yeah, I could see that. Um, <laughs> I, I have eyes. Um, <laughs> I'm glad you're here. He's having a problem with his laptop. And um, 
<laughs> so is it even possible to get somebody like Russell uh, in the clubs anymore now that they're playing like these big theaters and things like that? Did they ever go back to the clubs? Only, only if they want to feel like a big shot and drop in um, mm-hmm. in an unadvertised un- un- way. But um, mm-hmm. other than that, um, you know, he would make so much money from an appearance at the Air Canada Centre. Why would he have to do four nights in a club unless he's mm-hmm. trying to ready some kind of special? Sometimes mm-hmm. they'll do that, but it's rare. It's very rare. And, you know, people like him live in Los Angeles now, so he's more likely to use an American club for that rather than mm-hmm. fly all the way into Toronto. So I've I've often had a theory about, you know, professional athletes. Like they have a, a best before day uh, until, you know, they they go from that superstar to slightly less and they, they get on the downside for the most part. And I find that's the same with, with musical artists. Do you find that's the same with, with comedians? They become so successful, they they lose touch with, with what gave them their edge? Some do, some don't. Mm-hmm. Um, comedy, stand-up comedy is one of the few things you can do into your 90s. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I had the pleasure of working with George Burns um, oh, wow. uh, for a comedy festival I was producing in Toronto. And uh, we had him at the Sony Center, which is, you know, was a big, it was called the O'Keefe Center, I think, at that time. It's 3,200 seats. And, mm-hmm. of course, it's sold out. And he's in the basement in the green room waiting to go on, sitting there smoking a cigar. And I walk in, I go, I introduce myself. And uh, I, I said, don't get up. You know, don't get up. And he said, I can't. <laughs> That's amazing. So, uh, yeah. So you can be very old. Milton Burl performed until he was really old. Um, mm-hmm. There are a lot of things that can take people out of the game, including um, suicide, uh, which is the number one killer of comics under 50. Um, but suicide, drugs, uh, mm-hmm. gun violence, all kinds of stuff can happen. Some people, you know, unfortunately got cancer really early. I'm thinking of mm-hmm. Bill Hicks here. He was like 42 and he had prostate mm-hmm. cancer. No, not prostate cancer. Uh, the other cancer that's really bad, the one that uh, Steve Jobs had. Okay. Uh, uh, brain cancer? Nope. No, it's in your it's in your torso. Um, okay. I, I got sorry. I, I'll remember it. At any rate, yeah. um, he was gone in six weeks from the mm-hmm. diagnosis. So you know, sometimes things like that happen too. But it is, it is an art form where if you keep kind of current, um, you there'll mm-hmm. always be an audience for you. Now, as you age, you'll tend to do more corporate work, and you will may do the uh-huh. cruise ships. I have lots of friends that I worked with in the early eighties in clubs that all gravitated to cruise ships and the Mm -hmm. money's great. You only have to do one show a week. Um, Mm -hmm. I believe you can bring your wife um, Mm -hmm. and it becomes kind of a working holiday. So if you, if you can get the right tone, because it's kind of conservative on the, on the cruise ships, um, you're working towards, you know, you're working for all kinds of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you can get the tone right, you can get in that world and you can be there for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I, I have to admit, you know, not knowing how things work behind the scenes, I, I didn't really like Jay Leno as the host of the tonight show, 
but as you know, he's post career and I see him on podcasts and in other venues, the guy is just really, really funny. And, and I realized he was, he had to play a certain role to have that job and stand up. Sorry, Jay is one of the best stand-ups anywhere and always has been. We had him at uh, Yuck Yucks around 1988 and 1981. Um, he hadn't quite made it yet, but he, mm -hmm. we had him there for two nights and he was brilliant. Um, he, he is a very, very good stand-up. Mm -hmm. Always yeah. was, always will be. But here's something you may not know about him. Um, when Even when he, when he had the, uh, the show, the nightly show, mm -hmm. Every Sunday, he would go to the Comedy Magic store uh, club in Hermosa Beach, which is a beach town mm -hmm. in Los Angeles, and mm -hmm. run a set. Huh. He would keep think working he as the a energy. Yeah, he he would keep working on on his set because um, a lot of weekends, Leno would finish up at the uh, at the Tonight Show, get on a plane. And go to some place and do stand up in a big, in a big theater for um, a night or two. Then come right mm -hmm. back to Los Angeles and do the club again. He's a very he's got an amazing work ethic, mm -hmm. and and he's funny as hell. So, and he is really funny. Yeah. So I've read a, a book. Uh, I think it was about the history of the comic store, and then there was a a documentary. Uh, about it as well yeah and, mike binder mike binder did the documentary it's six parts yeah. it's very good yeah i really enjoyed it and i learned a lot but it seems there's uh an insecurity about stand-up that a lot of the stand-ups think they have to get onto tv and get that regular tv show gig or something to sort of maybe get the regular income or to legitimize themselves or something like that is that something you've seen as well well, I've seen it, but I've also seen it kind of become less important with the rise of podcasts, uh, social media, uh, web, you know, uh, uh, web comedy, uh, 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 what do you call it? YouTube stuff, which is all distributed, mm -hmm. you know, kind of in an ad hoc basis. But there mm -hmm. are comics now who can sell out um, big theaters, like 2,500 seat theaters. They've never been on television. They've never Amazing. been on television. It's all people passing on uh, clips that grow an audience. And uh, yeah, there's actually people who 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 are just for laughs was just in town. They booked a whole bunch of uh, headliners and there were actually a couple of headliners I'd never even heard of because mm -hmm. um, I don't sit there every day and go on on the on the Web because I'm a bit old for that i don't do that <laughs> um i use the well i use the web for um you know um research or uh, email but i don't use it for entertainment i'm still old-fashioned i go to movies and i watch tv um mm -hmm. but uh yeah i didn't even know who some of them are uh, some of them were and i'm not ashamed to admit it mm -hmm. so do you remember who a couple of those were no like maybe andrew schultz i knew about so andrew schultz because he was originally from toronto um and uh was really? kind of yeah long long ago um mm -hmm. and he'd done yuck yucks a couple of times on amateur night this time while he was in town he came by both weekend nights to do sets at yucks which wow. was great yeah he was terrific yeah. 
he does some of the but, best crowd work I've I've seen. Yeah, and he's a good example of somebody who doesn't have a television sh- uh, series, right? Mm-hmm. Was has no movie career, and kind of just got where he is by word of mouth mm-hmm. or word of click. Yeah, I guess so. So, can we go back to maybe your your Mount Rushmore? Who would be on your current Mount Rushmore of of standups? Well, that's a tough question, but depends how far back we're going. Are we going back yeah. as far as Mort Saul? Oh, I don't even know if anybody would remember who he is, but he, which is sad was, because Mort yeah. Saul, more than Lenny Bruce, Mort Saul created modern standup. Um, he mm-hmm. was really the first, and I, I'm very honored to say I was a friend of his. Um, mm-hmm. And he was a very, very interesting guy. But he'd be on mm-hmm. my, uh, he'd be on Mount Rush, my Mount Rushmore. Uh, of course, so would Lenny Bruce. Mm-hmm. So would George Carlin. So would Richard yeah. Pryor. Um, so would Joan Rivers. Uh, you know, there's some more modern people who have, oh, so would Seinfeld, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Klein would be up yeah. there on that, on that. And I'm going to see him in Toronto in, and sometime in November he's coming to Toronto. I'm going to see him. I'm going to watch him. Um, okay. I I worked with him. He hosted a show I did for Massey Hall on New Year's Eve a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but these, I think, those are kind of the the people I would have on that. And I'm sure people are listening to this and going, "No, you left out so and so. You left out yeah. so." And the only reason I left them out is because I just didn't think of them. If you gave me yeah. a couple of days to you know, make a list, I would be able to have a better list for you. But that's my off the top of my head list. Okay. So maybe I'll uh, I'll ring you up in a couple of days and we'll go through a, an extended <laughs> list. So, no, let's keep the list we have. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, how do you feel about some of these comedians that have sort of fallen from grace because people found out about their personal lives? Uh, you know, like well, Bill Cosby or people like that. You know what's so cool about Jello gelatin pops? They taste just like Jello gelatin, but they've got a handle. So, while your right hand is doing this, your left hand can be doing this or this or you know. But if your left hand sees how much fun your right hand is having, it won't want to be left out. Okay, now you have to share. Okay, so when you say Bill Cosby or people like that. It assumes that um, the the transgressions of all the comics are like Bill Cosby's, and it seems yeah. that nobody's is like Bill Cosby's. Um, mm-hmm. There's a very good documentary series that um, W. Camel Bell, I think, did. Um, I think called "We Have to Talk About Cosby," and mm-hmm. um, he deals with the fact that he has he deals with the issue that. You know, here is this kind of rapist that at the same time was doing amazing things for charity and amazing things for the black community and amazing things. And and it's just a conundrum. Um, mm-hmm. I personally, unless somebody does something at that, you know, level, I personally mm-hmm. don't care about somebody's personal life. Yeah. Uh, when I hire them, I'm not hiring the nicest people. I'm hiring the best comics. And. Uh, you know, there's a big difference to me between Louis C.K., for instance, and yeah. uh, Bill Cosby. So I did hire Louis C.K. 
after the scandal. I believe I was the first mm -hmm. ever to do that. And um, I didn't get that much blowback from it from from the general public, which mm -hmm. proved to me that this was trumped up and people didn't really think what he did was all that bad. Uh, yeah. But if I tried to book Bill Cosby, I think there would be such a public outcry and I think it would really uh, would really hurt my business. Yeah. And Louie is tremendously funny. Tremendously funny. It's tremendously and funny. Just has a, a unique take on maybe that's, you know, because he's Mexican and. Uh, what? Yeah, Louis he's actually not... Mexican. What? I think his I think his mother's Mexican. I don't know uh, about can... this uh, at all. I thought he was Hung Hungarian. Oh, could be both. I don't know. I, I, I'll have to double that's check. That's possible too. Um, CK stands for some unpronounceable Hungarian word. Okay. Um, that's why he changed we'll it to CK that. because I think it's Sexeli. Uh, S Z E. I, I can't remember. But. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, and Gabriel Iglesias, also tremendously funny. Very, very yeah. unique. Yeah. So. Yeah. Like, like him too. Mm -hmm. So we're running a little short on time. Um, more on the production end of things. What's what's allowed you to stay ahead of the curve when you know so many other comedy clubs and chains have just not been able to make it? Well, first of all, um, from a business perspective, um, we're a franchise company, which means mm -hmm. all our all our places are um, franchises. They have to follow a very very strict set of rules which is outlined in a book which is about two inches thick that they get when they um when we approve them mm -hmm. to do a franchise um but that means if one of them has a problem and is failing it doesn't affect the others mm -hmm. so that's a big that's a big thing the second thing is that um we integrated um a talent agency with our clubs um which gives us a lot of strength in the marketplace Mm -hmm. So that's also a big thing. The third thing is, I think, unlike most comedy clubs, we really created a brand and the brand sort of means something. It's got a kind of anti-establishment sort of feel mm -hmm. to it. And, you know, anything could happen here. Uh, and I think that really appeals to a definite segment of the market. So I, I think those things are what made Yuck Yuck survive because we had a really tough time coming out of COVID. Um, you know, yeah. uh, the clubs were closed for pretty much two years across the country. Hard to come back from that. Yeah, but we did for sure. But you did. And uh, oh, we did. I, I think, you know, stand up comedy and <laughs> rebel musicians, more of the punk rock, you know, we don't give a shit kind of thing anymore, are going to be what helps us get through, you know, this post COVID era and and get people being innovative and creative and uh, making the world a better place again well that'd be of course that'd be great and i'm hoping that's that's what happens uh but we're still in expansion mode we're opening um a new club in london ontario uh mm -hmm. in three weeks uh, a month roughly um so mm -hmm. that's great we opened up in winnipeg this year where we hadn't been in 25 years yeah I grew up in Winnipeg, so oh, yeah, Winnipeg. Okay. So we're in uh, the Fort Gary Hotel there, which is 
been completely mm-hmm. renovated and it's beautiful now. Mm-hmm. So there was uh, a couple of clubs that I remember. One, uh, I don't know if there any exist anymore. It's been a while. What uh, in in Winnipeg? Yeah. Uh, there's rumors. Oh, still okay. Yeah, rumors is still there. Rumors still does well. Rumors is out in a suburb. We're downtown, so um, yeah. there's. A, I think there's a market for both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. There was uh, actually a city councilor owned uh, a club for a while. That's and... that was that was rumors. That's uh, you're thinking of Sam Katz. No, it was before Sam. Uh, oh, okay. And uh, I actually saw Larry Miller there. Yeah. Who, who yeah, Larry was really there. always very funny. I think he's retired now. Uh, okay. Well, he looked like he should have been retired when he was performing because he's just got one of those, you know, I look really old, but I'm not looks. Right. So. No, he, he always looked old, actually. Mm-hmm. But he was great. So, Mark, I'm getting the one minute warning here. So, okay. uh, I just want to say thank you. Uh, this has been fascinating, and I really enjoyed it, and I hope the audience has enjoyed it. And, You're welcome. Uh, anything you want to close with? No, but good luck with your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Very much appreciated. To all the listeners in the audience, thank you so much for tuning in, and please like, subscribe, uh, hit the whatever buttons they tell you to hit these days, and have yourselves a great week. Thanks, Mark. Take care. You're welcome. Bye.